Hi, Megan. Hey, Hannah. <laughs> We're on location for the first time ever. Ooh. Here on Middle Name Hercules. Yay! Yay. <laughs> <laughs> we took our first rock and roll pilgrimage to Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Yes. And until three like three weeks ago, I didn't even know this was a thing. Nope. But apparently more commercial rock and roll hits have come out of these studios than anywhere else in the world. Which is wild. Yeah. Um, the only more successful studios than the ones we went to today were Motown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Muscle Shoals is a small town in Alabama along the Tennessee River, which we've crossed several times today. On such big bridges. And which Megan hated <laughs> because she doesn't like bridges. It's been fun. It's been more fun than I thought it would be. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I'd agree, for sure. I, I always dread going on trips. I know. <laughs> but I enjoy them when I get there. Um, it's, the, it's the riding and the doing. Yeah. <laughs> If I could just go through a wormhole, I'd be happy. Yeah. So, before Europeans colonized this area, and after for a while, the Yuchi First Nation called the Tennessee River the Nanase River, which means river that sings. And they believed that a young woman lived in the river and sang to them. Now that, take it with a grain of salt, because a white man descended from, it was like great-great-grandmother or something like that, was a Yuchi, um, Yuchi tribeswoman? Yeah, sure. A member of the Yuchi Nation. There you go. Yeah. She, um, she was the one, I guess, who passed that down, and that's who talked about it in the Muscle Shoals documentary, where most of this comes from. Okay. Now, that documentary, if you're interested in learning more, is available on Netflix, Amazon Prime, and YouTube now. So it's pretty well accessible to everybody. Not like some of the ones we talked about in our last episode. <laughs> the Yuchi, just for a little, just to round out that story, they were removed in 1939 under the regime of Andrew Jackson out to Oklahoma. <sighs> um, but then flash forward to like the 1940s, 1950s. <laughs> um, there was a man from Muscle Shoals, the foothills of it, called Rick Hall. Um, he grew up in a dirt floor house oh, wow. on the mountain, but he was very interested in music. And he, Tom Stafford, and Billy Sherrill all got, to got, all got together and founded the Florence, Alabama Music Enterprises. I think that's right. Florence, Alabama Music Enterprises, um, above Tom Stafford's father's drugstore in Florence. Um, and they started writing and publishing. They were going to make a publishing company. But then one day, Tom and Billy called in Rick Hall, said he was basically too pushy. They wanted to have fun making their music. Okay. <laughs> and let him go. But Rick Hall did keep the name and the, I guess, the artist he was working for. So he moved south of the river, set up Fame Studios. Mm -hmm. And the location he got is the location Fame Studios is at today. And it is still kind of a working studio, yeah. not constantly, but. What you say, Monday through Friday, it's a working studio. It's yeah. some Sundays. Yes. We went there today. Yes. <laughs> and we toured. And going to that studio is very much the Rick Hall story. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. But, um, after, sorry, after, I jumped forward a little. After Tom and Billy let go of Rick Hall, he moved away, got married, and then his first wife died when the couple were in a severe accident. Oh. Yeah. After this, he said he became a drunk, lived in his car for a while, and joined a local band to write music. But then he came back to Muscle Shoals with a vengeance, determined to make it in the music business. This was in the 1950s, and he was about 28 or 29 years old. At that point, he had a studio band, which studios do. Phil Spector had the Wrecking Crew. Um, and Rick Hall had the Muscle Shoals rhythm section. So one day he ran into Arthur Alexander, who was a bellhop at the Sheffield Hotel. The next day, they reported, you better move on. It eventually became a hit after, but I've heard that it sat on the shelf for a few years, and then they pressed it themselves because they couldn't find anyone to press it for them. And then they would drive it out. I've heard they, was that in the video? Yeah, um, they would take a bottle of vodka and the record to different soul stations. Yes, around the area. They're like, if you play this, we won't forget you. Yeah, and then by the time they got back, they were getting calls for the record. Yeah, yeah. it was a hit. And it wound up that both the Beatles and the Rolling Stones wound up covering Arthur Alexander's music that he produced in the studio, which, remember that, it comes in later. <laughs> um, and then shortly after all this happened, the Muscle Shoals rhythm section began opening for the Beatles on their first U.S. tour. Oh, they didn't include that in the whole thing. 
No, well, I mean, that's because they left the studio, pretty much. Mm-hmm. So they went on eventually to Nashville and became great music producers. They all did. Um, and the next band that Rick Hall brought in was the Swampers, which I don't think they were called the Swampers yet, but they were just a local band, and they were pretty much the only band left in town at that point. And they were the new studio band. And Aretha Franklin said they had funky, greasy rock, but the groove of the music came from R&B. So after this, Hobbs started bringing in any songwriter or musician that he could find, basically, that wanted to be in the music business. Percy Sledge was an orderly at the local hospital. And his, I guess his record runner, I didn't put his name down, was the one who first recorded him. They're like, you have a song we can sing? And Percy Sledge grew up around Muscle Shoals, working, cutting cotton in the cotton fields. And they, he would sing a melody to the other people working in the fields. And they thought, oh, they said, oh, your voice is going to be heard all around the world today, one day. And he didn't believe them. But then he got in the studio at Muscle Shoals at Fame Studios, and they cut When a Man Loves a Woman. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Which I think we heard on one tour today was one of the best-selling rock and roll records in history. Yeah. Um, fun fact, Donna Thatcher, who would go on to be in The Grateful Dead, the only woman in The Grateful Dead, was a backing singer on that record. Oh. Yeah. Rick Hall, as soon as he heard that record, called Jerry Wexler at Atlantic Records because he'd met him at a party in Atlanta, mm-hmm. and Wexler told him to call anything if he found anything special. And of course, Percy Sledge at that point didn't have a record contract. But he played the record over the phone to Wexler and got Sledge a deal like that to press and distribute his records. Wow. And that was the beginning of a pretty solid relationship, Atlantic Records. And this was around the time Wexler was going through some difficulties with Stax Records out of Nashville, which is who he used in this, this region, which is, I think it's probably an hour or two from where we are right now in Muscle Nashville. Mm, I would say it's probably closer to the three mark. Okay. I don't know, though. Still, it's not that far no. in the grand scheme of things. So this was like late 50s, early 60s. It's at the beginning of the civil rights movement in Alabama. And the thing about both the backing band of, or both the Swampers and the Muscle Shoals rhythm section, I'm not sure about the rhythm section. I think they were mostly white, the Swampers were all white, mm-hmm. and they worked with almost exclusively black vocalists, and they would all go out to eat afterwards, and the waitress would come up and like, why are you all sitting together <laughs> in the middle of, like, Jim Crow era, right. Alabama? So, uh, but they said in the studio, you didn't, that didn't matter at all. Mm-hmm. You played the music, and right. according to Hall, there were no incidents ever of, around race in his studios. Hopefully that's true. <laughs> yeah. So, after the dispute with Stax Records, it's called a dispute in the documentary, we also heard that Stax Records today just wanted to produce in-house music. Hall and Fame Studios became Wexler's go-to for this area to send his thing. And the first artist he flew in was Wilson Prickett. Sorry, Wilson Pickett. They interview Wilson Pickett. I'm going to call him Wilson. Okay. In the Muscle Shoals documentary. And he says he was extremely nervous when Rick Hall picked him up. Because he just like he just landed in Alabama. There are cotton fields yeah. everywhere. At that point, you could see cotton fields from the or the recording studio from the cotton fields, he said. Wow. With people working in them. And this white guy's come on. Come on, Wilson, let's go to the studio. Oh, my gosh. I would be terrified. Yeah. Um. So they get in the studio, they have some arguments back and forth when they first get in, and then they finally get in the groove. And Wilson records both Land of a Thousand Dances and Mustang Sally in Fame Studios. And if you look on our Instagram, I'm going to post it. It's I, We did get to take a picture of the organ used in Mustang Sally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And after that, Muscle Shoals became Wexler's like, go-to. I think I said that before, but it was after that. What does Mustang Sally sound like? Because 100% honest, I don't know what it is. Uh, and people kept talking about it like it was the biggest song ever. Okay, hold on, let me pause this. Okay. And then we'll play it. Okay, guys, I've just been informed informed that Megan has never heard the song Mustang Sally in her life, so please remember her in your prayers. <laughs> I'm not threatening her, it's just, you know. It feels like a threat. Bless. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, Wexler had a new artist he was looking to sign. Um, she was currently at Columbia Records, I believe, and 
but she was she had a very soft, smooth voice, and they needed to change her sound from from like the lush arrangements that she was used to singing in. So after five years, the record company dropped her, and Mike Starr brought in Aretha Franklin. <laughs> Never heard of her. Yeah. <laughs> so she got to Fame Studios the first day, and she would try to sing the melody. The musicians would try to find the groove around it, and they couldn't until they hit the right piano chord. And then once they did that, it was like, go, go, go. And that's the thing everybody has said today is that you didn't spend days working on the song. Yeah. You were in and out. Yeah. But, and part of, a lot of that reason is because the backing band was so good on these. <laughs> so this was not in the museum's intro video today. They cut Aretha Franklin's first million-selling record with Never Love the Man. Um, I don't know what I know that. And it was, I don't think I know okay. it either, to be honest. Okay. <laughs> um, and we've talked about covering Aretha before, but we were covering a lot of women who'd been battered by their husbands, so yeah. we decided to wait a while just to give everybody a break, but we will get around to covering Aretha in depth. But her husband was there, so really, she, from my understanding, she was in Fame Studios one day, take that, um, and then the backing man got friendly with her, and then the trumpet player was calling her Aretha Baby or something like that. Aretha's husband, Ted, was there, and he got jealous of the trumpet player, walked out, told Wex Wexler he needed to fire the trumpet player. Wexler looked at... Hill said, Hill, we need to fire the, go fire the trumpet player. And Hill said, really? Okay. And he walked in and he fired the trumpet player. That didn't sit well with any of the rest of the backing men. Right. So recording was pretty much shut down after that. Um, Ted was nice and drunk, and he and Aretha went back to their hotel. <laughs> and Rick Hill said, I'm going to go and apologize, work it out. Wexler said, I wish he wouldn't. Rick Hill said, it'll be fine. <laughs> so he goes out to the hotel. He knocks on their door. Ted is drunk. He's livid. He leaves. And Aretha was already thinking of leaving him. And she said, that was the night I decided to leave. Um, so she packed up her bags and got out of there and she met him at the airport and he was going to take their plane back <laughs> without her and she's like he was going to leave without me so from anything I can tell they all left together Wexler was furious told Rick Hill he was going to bury him Rick Hill said you can't bury me you're older than me <laughs> so Wexler finished Aretha's recording up in New York and that's where she recorded R.E.S.P.C.T. Uh, and her bigger hits than what it was but she, she got her first million, sorry, million selling record she recorded that at Fame Studios but, um, so after that, Wexler and Hill were off. Oh, wait, I was like, who is Rick Hill? Rick Hill is the man who started Fame Studios. Rick Hall. Hall, Hall. yeah. Okay. I, I was thinking, because he's the man who lived on the hill, but no, it's definitely Rick Hall. I apologize, okay. everyone. Sorry. <laughs> I really didn't mean that to sound rude. I was genuinely confused. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, no, that's fine. So after, so actually Wexler called the Swampers, the backing man, up to New York to record R-E-S-P-E-C-T. No word on whether that, like, yeah. Okay. No word on whether that included the trumpet player or not. Oh. He wasn't one of the main band anyway. <laughs> um, so they were the, still the backing band on R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Can we just call it Respect? I, I guess so, but it's I've really... always heard it just called Respect. Okay, fine. <laughs> so after Wexler and Hall split up, he went, Hall went to Chess Records to get some of their artists to record. And they sent him Etta James, who is another huge name. Mm -hmm. And it went, for the while, went fine for a while. They cut some of her big hits, including I'd Rather Go, go Blind. Which I want to take a minute here and say the first stop we made in Muscle <laughs> today uh, was the Chick Fil A. Oh yeah, Chick Fil A. But after that, the most popular or the most famous person born in Muscle Shoals, which is to me the most perfect example of irony, is Helen Keller. So we went to the Helen Keller birthplace. <laughs> we didn't go inside because we didn't have time, but we definitely no. got out. We and went out and we walked up to where it said "Paid Entry Beyond This Point." Yeah, back to the car. Yep. <laughs> uh, it watched a minivan almost hit my car. Yeah, we did. That was scary. <laughs> there was one backing band member that had started working with the Swampers in his, in Rick Hall's studio, Fang Studios, called Dwayne Allman. And Hill didn't get along with Dwayne because <laughs> he said, just turn on the microphone and we'll let it roll out. Dwayne was really the first hippie that he worked with. But inside the studio of Fang Studios was where the Allman brothers first got together. Actually, both studios we went to, the, to today kind of claimed this. Yeah. I'm guessing they were just going back and forth. Probably. Uh, 
my second studio said whenever Wexler called, Dwayne came over to Muzzy Shoals. Yeah. We'll get there in a minute where that comes from. But where, where the second studio comes from. Uh, Hill, uh, like I said, didn't appreciate his new method of recording. So, oh. the, so see, I, I changed the last name here to Hill. <laughs> so from now on, it's going to be Hill, unless I remember to, it's Recall. Anyway. He didn't jive too well with the hippies, and even they they said they got even worse service from the waitresses when they went out with the long-haired hippies than when they went out just <laughs> well, with a mixed-race group. <laughs> yeah. So Hall had just negotiated a new deal with Capitol Records. Megan, just give me the thumbs up for getting Hall's name right there. <laughs> and he was very excited. At the same time, Wexler had been talking to the Swampers and saying, look, you get some capital get together, we'll build our own recording studio, and you guys can wrench out. And of course, you know, making the move from producers to back, just backing band is... I think what a lot of people want to do in the music industry. Mm. So they're like, okay, but we have to tell Rick Hall. So the same day the Capitol Records thing came through, he handed them new contracts that said they could they were going to work exclusively for Fang. Uh-huh. And the documentary said, no, you got to walk up those stairs and knock on his door. And didn't the guy say that they were only going to make like $10,000 each and still with the 30000 they had made or something like that? Oh, I don't know. I didn't catch that. I think that's what he said. And that was one of the reasons they were like, no, why would we, why would we do that? Yeah. <laughs> Lex- Lexler said he was going to bury Hall and he took the best backing man around mm-hmm. from, from under him. And they did set up the Muscle Shoals recording studio out on Lee Highway. I think it was the other one. Jackson. Jackson Highway in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. By the way, you can go tour both of these studios. So the Muscle Shoals Sound Studio is owned and operated by the Muscle Shoals Music Foundation, NSMF. It's a nonprofit, and it was actually set up in part by a large donation from Dr. Dre that helped them. Mm-hmm. Um, because after, down the road, when they, when the, uh, sorry, when the Swampers, I almost called them the Wrecking Crew, that is, West Coast, that's all the way on the other side of the country. <laughs> when the Swampers moved to a different studio in downtown Florence, um, a furniture store moved in their building. Mm-hmm. Oh, and we should mention, when they first set up the studio, it started life as, it's across from the street from a graveyard, it started life as a coffin showroom, which is my favorite story for today. <laughs> the tour guide acted like that was like the worst part. I think that it was, you know, spook factor. Spooky. Yeah. 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 But it had like a tin roof and stuff. Yes. So and they, they recorded in the rain. Could, yeah. And they eventually had to, I thought it was really interesting, they Use burlap and ceiling insulation to fix that. <laughs> yeah. And then on the walls, they had bouncing issues, which, you know, if you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, you know what, how that can mess with recording. Sorry. Sorry about it. Um, and they used styrofoam used to package electric meters, which I thought was so cool because yeah. I, I work for an electric company. Yeah. I can't wait to show that one. <laughs> Tweet um, it from your account. <laughs> oh, well. From the electric, uh, electric account. <laughs> I could, I guess. I'm it, not it going to. In. It ties in. <laughs> anyway, um, back, sorry, back to the Muscle Shoal Sound Studio. After they move out, this is jumping ahead, it became a furniture store. Luckily, the owner of the furniture store recognized that a lot of very famous music had been recorded there. So he preserved the original recording booth, the couches, the, mm-hmm. um, um, the isolation booths, the isolation booths, and like the speaker cabinets. Yeah. Which I'm not sure where he had room to put furniture. That's why I like looking around and I was trying to figure it out. And this was just a very small place. Yeah. And they just, he worked on like orders, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. Anyway, he preserved a lot of that, but it was ready to fall down mm-hmm. um, in the mid in the early 2000s they said they were able to get it back up and running and now it is a recording studio again mm-hmm. in fact Stephen, Stephen Tyler from Aerosmith recently cut some music in there did he say that he recorded it or I thought he just toured it he toured it that's right he recently cut a record in fame yes he toured though Muscle, Muscle Shoals and like sang in the bathroom for a second yes just to test it we'll get to the bathroom it's a great bathroom we'll have a, <laughs> we'll have a picture of it uh, <laughs> on so Instagram random. <laughs> but anyway back, sorry back to what I was saying the Muscle Shoals Music Foundation will be having a benefit um, telephone on Facebook and all of their social media for the studio because like everything else during COVID it was hit yeah. badly so if you're one of our three listeners make sure you go check that it's out two weeks from today yes. so that'll be May 8th yes because we're recording this a couple of days before it comes out look at you you were really up on that May 8th is dang right oh <laughs> so that was jumping way ahead to get back um 
Wexler, as we said, sent out, helped the Swampers set up their own recording studio in a former casket showroom, which is my Beautiful. favorite thing. And it is known as the Muscle Shoals Recording Studio, which I've said several you times. You said that like seven times now, I think. <laughs> yeah. And the first artist that Wexler brought them to record was Cher. Beautiful. Unfortunately, it was 1969, and as we discussed in our Cher episode, <laughs> nobody wanted to hear Cher then. Uh-oh. And then they had a couple of other well, he, albums. He, he was also funny, though. Like, he was saying that Sonny didn't like something that had happened. Oh, yeah. And so he came out and was like, I don't like this. Do it different. They're like, oh, you can leave. Yeah. And kicked him out. Yes. Uh, Wexler <laughs> said, Sonny, you know, we don't really need you here. You can go back to the holiday. Day. I think he said, like, I signed with Cher, not Sonny and Cher. Yeah. He said, by the way. And Sonny <laughs> said in his biography, which I've not read, but they quoted today, yeah. um, that no one ever took him seriously after Wexler threw him out yep. of the shoals. Yep. <laughs> then one day, five beautiful young men, well, four beautiful young men and Bill Wyman. Oh, oh wow. <laughs> Low blow. Hold up. <laughs> I really don't like Bill Wyman. He's a great bassist. Horrible Kena. Just for the record, it's because Hannah didn't say bass. She gets a round of applause. Did you hear me pause? I did. I had to pause and think about Positive it. reinforcement here, okay? <laughs> the Rolling Stones came in during their 1969 tour, which we talked about last week. Ooh. And they cut four tracks in a week, which was prolific, according to Keith Richards, for that group. I know three. What was the fourth one? Um, oh, that was three in four days. I think it was three and four, or four. One didn't obviously go anywhere. Oh, okay. I think they, most, okay. Most of the tracks came out like a couple years later on their albums. Okay. Because it was Brown Sugar, Wild Horses, and what was the first one? It was actually a cover of an R&B song. Wait, no, I don't think it was. It was You Gotta Move. If you know who originally wrote You Gotta Move, let us know. <laughs> but yeah, on one day they wrote Brown Sugar. And the second day, it's funny because they were interviewing the... Um, oh. The table's gonna go down. <laughs> I know. There's the really precariously placed glass table. Yeah, that's not attached to the base of it. No. See, like it's hard to move. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> so the Swampers, they were talking about, like, it should be noted, there was no alcohol, there was no drugs in the studio. They were a clean cut guy. And then they cut to McJagger going, well. <laughs> and then they cut to Key saying, yeah, I had to go in the bathroom a couple of times. <laughs> and the tiny little bathroom, which again, we'll post a photo on our Instagram, <laughs> is where Keith locked himself in for a few hours and wrote, finished writing Wild Horses. Yes. Um, and he actually recorded it in the restroom, and that became something that everybody wanted to copy mm -hmm. because in a really awkward turn of events, it's got the best acoustics <laughs> in the place, which in another <laughs> odd turn of events, the best the room with the best acoustics in this house, echoing acoustics, is the bathroom, and they gave us a barn door instead of a door that closes. <laughs> I was like, you can hear everything. I know. I hate it. <laughs> I know. Ah, I hate it so much. I'm really glad that I'm not the room directly across from it. <laughs> it's okay. I'm going to have the computer going. Okay. Oh, it'll be fine. <laughs> Anyway, so the Rolling Stones enjoyed recording in the Muscle Shoals music studio so much that they went ahead and booked it to record their entire next album. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, as we'll get into next week, several circumstances led to them being exiled, basically, in the south of France at that point, oh. which is where they wrote and got the name for the album, Exile on Main Street. And we'll get into that next week, because I think it's going to be a fun story. Absolutely. It sounds fun. I can't wait. There's a whole documentary just about the making of that. I love that. The whole sense of a lot of documentaries out there, huh? Yeah, and a lot of them are put out by them themselves. I don't know any band who has more merchandise, I think. Yeah, but their logo is also just out there. Like, so yeah. many people use it illegally. Yeah. But, like, if Elvis had a logo, imagine all of the... Yeah. Like, Elvis was just him on his... Yeah. I just I think about all the stuff I see in these, like, tiny boutiques where they don't have the rights to the logo, but they print it on things. Yeah. <laughs> Which, next week, we'll also discuss how they came up with the logo, because up until the 1970s, they didn't have a logo. Uh-uh. Yeah. Huh. So, um, Hill eventually replaced his band, went on to record... A bunch of different um, artists and one of the biggest bands to actually be put together besides probably the Almonds band in the studio was a little band called Leonard Skinner. Never heard of them. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway they were uh, they left a roadie who in the studio one day while the band went to lunch. They'd recently been discovered and they were putting together their first album. They left the roadie in there alone. I forgot his name. They said it and I don't remember. If you know the roadie's name look it up and tell he was up in the band. He, yeah he was not in the band but he did turn out to be a classic freebird. I can look that up. Okay, that was the story I was getting ready to tell. 
sorry. I'm over it. <laughs> I try to be helpful. Yeah. And the band wound up cutting their album called The First and the Last because, of course, they died tragically, three of them, in an airplane accident not long after. I don't know. I know nothing about Larry Skinner. Yeah. They were one of the bands to um, talk about. Yeah. It, this studio, the more you learn about it, the more interesting it gets. One of their most famous musicians that played on a ton of records was actually started life as a nuclear, not started life, started his professional life as a nuclear physicist who developed what, who worked on a little thing called the Manhattan Project and developed what he didn't realize was the atomic bomb. <laughs> okay, so they're listing Alan Collins and Ronnie Van Zant. Alan Collins sounds more familiar, but I don't want to be Alan wrong. Collins wrote the initial chords, vocalist Ronnie Van Zant insisted that there were too many for him to create a melody in the blue. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so <sighs> on a lunch break, a roadie wrote the initial what we the know chords, yeah. for Freebird. So, any other interesting tidbits from today you'd like to share? Rod Stewart has recorded it both. Yes. Uh, as we know, he is my love. Uh, <laughs> it can no longer be denied. We saw a little <laughs> electric keyboard with him leaning over. I'm like, Megan, Megan, before we go in the bathroom to take a picture, do you want to get a picture of you leaning over the same keyboard that Rod Stewart was leaning on? Oh... But it is funny that we were in the first recording studio in Studio B, and there was this giant collage of all the artists that have recorded there, and the only person I picked out initially was Rod Stewart. And then I said, look, Megan, Rod Stewart. And we were all looking at all the artists, and the intern wasn't saying anything about Rod Stewart, and another older couple on, on the tour, they said, hey... Is that Rod Stewart? And she was like, oh, yeah, he was here. And everybody went, ooh, ah, uh, and she said nothing. She did not care about Rod Stewart, even no. a little bit. Such a disrespect. <laughs> she was a very young intern. Yeah, and I think she said she'd been there for like five months. Yeah. She was doing it to um, get another job somewhere because it looks nice on your resume to work there like that. Yeah, probably. Oh, I'm, I'm, I can imagine how hard it is to like, break into the industry. Yeah. Fame Studios looks like it has not changed. He ex- um hall expanded it a couple of times over the yeah. years but as far as the interior it's like it looks like you were in the 70s <laughs> yes i told megan like while we were upstairs there was some very plush looking green carpet in his office in the man's office come on <laughs> and I, I happened to be wearing um sandals so i just you know pulled my foot behind me a little and felt the carpet with the tip of my toe <laughs> and it was still plush i can feel that through my shoe that i don't need to dip my toe into <laughs> like it's the icy waters <laughs> in the plush carpet <laughs> office. anyway um he had a cool little barber chair up there he did and the intern was like yeah nobody knows what this was about and i'm like Rickhill worked here for hall hall rick, rick hall worked here for at least over 50 years and nobody asked yeah because he just died in 2015 yeah it was really recent it's in the teens for sure yeah because he was they interviewed him extensively for that yeah muscle shoals thing and yeah i think that she said that they talked about his death in um his not the book that came out about him in 2018 yeah so yeah he, but his wife is still alive and is the office manager nice that's what she was saying that's pretty cool yeah yeah Anyway, so if you're ever in Muscle Shoals, there are some pit stops that you absolutely have to make if you're a rock and roll pig- mm-hmm. pilgrim. Um, show them some love. Yes, yes, yes. Fame has better merch, but uh, uh, Muscle Shoals. Personally, I like the Muscle Shoals tour better just because there were a lot of stories about the artists themselves. Yes, we happen to have a really good um, 
tour guide that you could tell had worked there for a long time. Yeah, there were pictures of him too in different places. Like there were? Yeah, there were a couple. Oh, I couldn't tell. Yeah, um, so it was it was pretty cool. Like you couldn't tell that he had talked to a lot of these people. Yeah, I wonder if you can go spy him in the um, Give Me Shelter documentary. I don't know if he was there at that point. That was the worst cold chill I've ever had, and I don't know why. I thought you were having, like, a heart attack or a neurological event or something. I was like, Megan's going to die right here on the podcast. It was such a cold chill. <laughs> well, this, Sorry. Yeah, this is going to be a shorter episode, everybody. We're going to have a longer episode every other week now. Yes. Um, and we hope to bring you better quality content in the future <laughs> by doing this. We're um, trying. <laughs> and I hope you really enjoyed this episode, and... I mean, you guys really seem to enjoy the Savannah episode, but I think that's because of all the murder. <laughs> there wasn't as much murder today. I don't think there was any. I don't think so. It's just kind of sad. Well, we gave him we gave him double death last week, so oh, fair enough. <laughs> Everybody just died of natural causes and cancer and stuff today. Oh, possible. Oh, I thought you meant last week. I was like, there was a possible murder last week. Who knows? Anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm Megan, and I'm Hannah. And this is the first time we said our names. <laughs> On Middle Name Hercules. (laughs) Don't forget to tune in to the Muscle Shoals something music foundation. That's what you said earlier. The Muscle Shoals music foundation benefit on Facebook, YouTube, wherever you can find them online. I was on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, they were saying they're going to have some different artists yes. playing and then auctioning off some different things. Yes, we saw one of the guitars today. Yeah. And if we had known who it belonged to, it would have been really, really cool. Really, really cool, but we didn't, unfortunately. No. We also went to a record store today, and I told the man that we like 70s and 80s rock and roll, and he gave us a really big quiz. He kept on, and then like he finally said, he picked up a record that was from Blondie, and he said, do you know who that girl is? We were at the same time. Debbie, Debbie Harry. Harry. <laughs> <laughs> and then he asked us who was prettier, Stevie Nicks or Debbie Harry. Actually, he said he asked the older okay. men. But he was clearly asking us at the same time. <laughs> you could tell. And I was like, I don't know. I, I think that the analysis he gave is correct. Debbie Harry is the more attractive one, like features-wise. But yeah. Stevie Nicks has that energy that's so beautiful around her. Yeah. Like a living crystal. <laughs> I think that, that was a good analysis okay. for the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. So are we leaving now? Oh, we're leaving. <laughs> good night, everybody. It's so late. Middle name Hercules has been a production of Megan and Hannah, who don't know what they're talking about. Send your hate mail to middlenamehercules at gmail.com. Find information about us at middlenamehercules.com. Stalk us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Tumblr. It's been fun, everybody. See you next week.